Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Sonic Talk special. We're, I'm very pleased to be able to talk to Hazel Mills, who you may remember from... Uh, we did a rig tour with her from uh, the Golf Rap Tour, which I think was last year in Bath, uh, which did very well. People were very interested in what you had to say, Hazel, and uh, and, and what you were doing with Golf Rap. But also, I was looking back, and there's, uh, there's some shots of you in a thing we did with... Uh, the Mog Ensemble from 2008. So that is kind of, that's going back some. And you were playing, you'd just been dropped in with the SHO9 and had to kind of figure yeah. out how to how to deal with it. How are you, first of all? I'm very well. Um, wow, a lot's happened since then. Um, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm just over some jet lag. So I'm starting to feel human again, um, getting stuck into some music and some gardening so i'm really happy oh, nice good time of year for gardening well actually that brings yeah. me to my first oh, how very nicely linked of you you're, you're, you're kind of an interviewer's dream because i was going to say you've just <laughs> not only do you, i mean your your repertoire or your kind of your career path you know very lots of live stuff you've just had your, your ep out now which is the embrace uh we, i love the sound of it it's got real there are some great influences there without them being tall overpowering it's just really nice to hear those oh, little, thank ah. you and it's still got that kind of I call it the Bristol soup. You know, there's that sort of the low end is just like, okay, that sounds like it's from Bristol. You know, it's just got that kind of thing going on. And I very much encourage everybody to go and listen to that. It's uh, it's a great sounding piece of work, actually, I have to say. Thank you. But on top of that, um, you just got back from Australia where you were with the Mog Ensemble, which was probably the last time we physically met, wasn't it? Because I think we, because I, I worked on that project where uh, it was the launch of the Moog Model D, Moog Model D. We could mm. debate whether which is right, of course, for hours. Uh, and that was at Bristol in the, uh, the Mount Without. The Mount Without? Mm-hmm. Is it the Mount Without? That sounds familiar, yeah. That yeah, was a great... I really enjoyed doing that. That was where, for those of you who, again, who haven't seen that, that's where you were one of the players in the Mogul. You've been with the Mogul Ensemble for, what, must be more than 10 years now on and off, I guess, Just over 10 years, yeah. And that was... Crazy. A, it's really interesting because it kind of marries, you know, that's very much a kind of classical gig because you're very much sight reading a lot of that stuff and you're playing uh, uh, to a quite a strict... Uh, layout and in that particular case there was a lot of click tracks and a lot of you know just 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 to make sure that everything was editable because it was done in a number of parts but it was actually a live take I think people probably don't realize that it was pretty much I think the only thing that was inserted was a couple of shots of Eddie's solo because they couldn't be in shot looking at his hands and not in shot at the same time and also uh, yeah. some some, uh, some Harriet bits who, uh, who there's a great shot of Harriet actually where she's just sort of standing there like with her sticks in the air it's like looks fantastic at the back of the hall yeah, great I fun think, though that was wasn't it yeah really good day a really good day it's such a lovely space to do really beautiful space to do something like that and just really fun thing to be spending a day doing can't complain so the, the the thing that i find kind of interesting about what you're you know you you seem to have fallen into the live performance uh side of things that's all in terms of the the, the visible work that you do you know you've florence the machine obviously got touring live with golf rap many other gigs mm-hmm. as well and obviously most recently going to australia which must have been a lot of fun did you did you plan? Is was this the thing that you were, wanted to do, or is your heart more in the your own music and releasing your own things? Because obviously you've got an EP out as well at the same time. I was just curious which which is the sort of the path you thought you'd be heading down. Yeah, it's not. It isn't at all. Um, when once I had accepted 
that music was my life <laughs> um, because I originally wanted to act when I was younger. I did a lot of theatre and although music was always a big part of my life from a very young age, I just thought, well, yeah, that's 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 me, but I, I never saw it as a career for some reason. Um, but yeah, once I once I'd figured out that's what I was doing, I was, you know, I've been write, songwriting since I was about 10 maybe mm. and improvising making up music since I was even younger than that when I used to sit at the piano with my uncle and we'd just make up really kind of weird avant-garde piano duets um I I never envisaged what I've ended up doing and I wouldn't I don't think I would have chosen it if I knew but at the same time I'm so grateful that that I've taken the path that I have because it's such, it's been so varied. Mm. Um, and although I would love to have concentrated on my own music that whole time, I kind of did. I just did it. I've been doing it in the background. Nobody's mm. been able to see that. Um, I've been honing my craft slowly over <laughs> a long period of time. Um, but I think actually doing some of those other, you know, some, some of that session work that I've become a bit more known for, is is never a bad thing in terms of um, maybe giving my own music a bit more credibility. Sure. So yeah. the, you you said you were you used to sit at the piano when you were kid. So are you are you classically trained or are you kind of self taught or how how did you enter? How did music come into your life? Yeah, I am classically trained as a pianist, a little bit vocally as well. So I started um, piano lessons when I was six. And kind of did that in a, in a classical structure until I was about 17, I think. Right. So grade eight, um, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I did all the grades. I went through all of that. Um, and I, yeah, I just, uh, whilst doing that, I would also kind of, I had a kind of parallel path almost of, really loving pop music and songs and writing songs um, and singing eventually. And I, you know, I did a few kind of classical singing lessons and grades and things and sang in choirs as well. Um, so yeah, it was always there from a young age. I've got a musical family. My sister did the same thing. She started, she's two years older than me and she started piano lessons when she was six um, she's kind of carried on down the classical route, but I've done a bit of a, it's like, it's a quite an unusual know, combination of things. I mean, they, they, you're very lucky to be able to have done both at the same time. Cause usually you would fight with that. You know, you probably, the general path is you start doing that when you're in your teens. Cause that's when you start to notice music and, and, and all of that stuff. But you, you started much earlier, which, and pop, which I think is a, is great. A very underrated art form. I think pop music. Yeah, I mean, I I just, I love it. I always have. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting what you say about the sort of the, um, the regimented kind of nature of classical music. I do have an element of that in my personality anyway. I like things, I, I like to be prepared and I mm. like to have a certain level of what, okay, what am I going to be doing and knowing what I'm doing and, and a little bit of not knowing is, scary but at the same time I think I've found a way to combine the the two um you know the the freedom of 
um, less regimented music. Mm. Uh, and I'm not talking like jazz improvisation. I've done a lot of improvisation um, in my life, but it's, I would say it's more in the, um, when I was a teenager, I, this is another kind of path of my, my musical influences is that I really got into when I was introduced to the, the American minimalism movement. Right. And some, the sort of surrounding avant-garde, um, composers. So like Steve Reich, Terry Riley and John Cage and the, the cage circle as they called it. And, um, I was really into that. So the the freedom of that, I've always, I think I've taken with me since I discovered that. That was a bit of kind of light bulb moment for me getting into particularly uh, Steve Reich and actually all the kind of music concrete composers mm. as well, which I learned about at the same time and were around a similar time. And also Steve Reich is kind of a part of that because he's done a lot of tape music. So, I, yeah, I it's think although that, I've sort of, got- that sort of fits with the pop, but because I mean, a lot of that certainly Steve Reich and the Terry Riley and that kind of system, what's known as systems music, which is it's it's sort of pattern repetition and the the slow movement and kind of uh, the cycles with which they interact with different parts. It's a very interesting. Uh, area of music and in, in a way you know it's like that whole thing about jamming and improvisation a lot of it is you know it's we all we're all guilty i don't know if you're guilty i'm certainly guilty of sitting there and, and just jamming over the same four or even two bars of uh, of a or a 16 step sequence on my on my insert name yeah. of sequencer here and just you get into this kind of almost like zen like state don't you where you it, it's quite pleasing to be part of i'm not sure it takes skill to be able to do it so that other people might appreciate it but it's still it's still a very satisfying way of expressing yourself musically i think yeah i agree i think um jamming or improvising or whatever however you want to frame it has for me personally two purposes and one is the, the sort of the therapeutic side of it mm. The kind of meditative, like you say, you get into the flow state. And the other one is almost like a songwriting tool in itself in that, you know, I might improvise something and rather than go, okay, there's a piece of music I've just splurged and there, there it is. I'll then kind of hack into it and piece it together um, in a more structured way. So I think... Yeah, maybe it's more a part of my life than I think. It's just not... Um... Really interesting to use the word splurge, because my next question, actually, and that's not a joke, was how was the process for the EP? Uh, how is your creative process? Uh, do you take your time or are you a splurger? And I'm not making that up. That's actually what I wrote <laughs> down. So it's interesting that you use the same term. I mean, that's how so do funny. you... I mean, I, I, take, I get the sense that you like to take your time and like to, you know, when you say you prepare, you like to have things right. And I know you've been working with the same collaborative, uh, collaborative for a long time. So you obviously have a relationship that works creatively. But do you, are you quick or are you slow? Or are there parts that are quick and parts that are slow? Yeah, I think the latter. Um, I, I feel like I've found a new process. I wouldn't say process because it's never the same for me um you know from song to song but to, I feel an element of freedom that I didn't feel before I have taken a long time with songs before or had songs sit for for years and then 
and then they're ready. Mm. Um, one of the songs, Fragile Creature, on the EP, that's that's one of those. Right. I wrote and did a really rough demo of that, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago. Right. <clears throat> and then brought it into the studio and had quite a liberating process of like, you know what, I'm not going to do anything with this demo. This is unlike any anything else I've done. I'm not going to develop it production-wise, just going to go into the studio. Um, TJ Allen and I went in and, and he produced that one. Yeah. And we went in and we spent a day, uh, maybe day and a half, and just went, right, this is the version. Um, and it was almost a deliberate, because we've taken time on things before and it can get really difficult to move on or complete things that way. Um, so we were quite strict with ourselves and go, right, today is the day we are going to create a version of this song. And we did. And that's the, essentially the version with the the exception of a couple of overdubs, essentially. So did you sing it from scratch um, because you, you stuck to the arrangement that was in the demo or did you build on the demo from the... Yeah, I. it's all pretty much... As I demoed it, minus one note change in a in one of the vocal harmonies, that's it. Oh, um, interesting. But it, yeah, it was the demo is is pretty. The demo, <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing, but um, it was piano and vocal, right? And there were strings instead of synths. Okay. And I used, <laughs> you know, the um, the dial up tone sound, the dial. Yeah. Um, like internet dial-up, I sampled that and pitched it down, and that was kind that kind of atmospheric sound was what was going through it, and we sort of recreated that with um, sort of reverse vocal samples and synths and things like that. I mean, like you say, you like to prepare, but sometimes working to a deadline, obviously you extract things from yourself that you didn't know were there or you didn't know you would do them in that way because you just think, well, that'll have to do, you have to let it go quite quickly. And I, I was listening to another interview you did and you were saying that one of the things you learn about a lot of areas of music in terms of collaboration, in terms of playing live and touring with various different acts and fitting in is the letting go aspect and being able to just kind of go, you know what, that's fine. And I'm curious because a lot a lot of working in any creative industry, I think, is the ability to be able to do that because most people find it quite brutal when they first get in because they've, they've, they've attached themselves to this thing that they made and they've gone, this is what I'm, you know, maybe all their kind of hopes and confidences are in it for the first time at least. And then somebody just goes, yeah, no, that's no good. Let's do this. Or it doesn't get picked up on and it can be quite, quite sort of... A, difficult to deal with that level of rejection or you or you can take it very personally when in fact it's it's just a process right yeah collaboration can be really hard and I actually feel like I'm quite lucky to have more recently experienced um a collaboration that I'm working on at the moment with an artist called Kate Brooks that mm. came about during I think the first lockdown one of the lockdowns um remotely um, and we'd written a load of, we ended up writing a load of music remotely before we'd ever even met in person. Mm. And f right from the offset, that was, there was no, there were no expectations, no, um, just, it was so free and we weren't precious about any, neither of us were particularly precious about any, any of our ideas. We just thought, well, whatever this ends up being whatever, it's fine. And it was kind of like a musical consequences where one of us would send an idea, whether that was like one 
improvised pass of an instrument or a loop or something a bit more developed and we'd keep passing it back and forth each kind of developing it each time um and every time we did that there was like yep you could I don't mind do what whatever you want with that I am absolutely not precious at all and there was that was just so liberating and I found that it's actually been really rewarding and, and we now have almost an album's worth of material that I'm really proud of just because of the process, like you say. Right. It's not about the product. It was the most enjoyable process um, in many ways. When you're working with a live act, I mean, I'm guessing what happens is somebody, you know, sees a band live, sees you are in it, finds out who you are or word of mouth and you get offered a gig, say, you know, Florence or Girlfrap or whatever it may be. Do those... When, when that happened for the first time, how did you how did you find yourself adapting into that? Because it's a pretty terrifying initial. The first bit is really scary because you don't know anybody necessarily. You're you're not sure how the work things, and you know. But you've obviously been chosen because you, they think you're going to fit in, so it's not going to be a complete mismatch. But how do how do you how did you approach that, and how did it work for you the first time that happened? Yeah, that's interesting because I think actually now you mention it, most of the jobs that I've done <clears throat> when I started I didn't know who I was working with beforehand so yeah I, I always find that a really kind of anxiety inducing mm. part of the job is is the beginning where you first meet them and hope that you get on and um well I think one of the the big things that artists will look for is chemistry and whether you get on not just can you play you know are you a good musician or whatever um or do you look the part because you know let's face it that is a consideration yeah, yeah, sure. but you know i i remembered having a meeting uh, meeting up with alison goldfrapp before before we started before i did my first gig i can't remember when that was um that we met but just to see how we got on just to kind of hang out we had, had a drink um her manager was there as well we just sort of hung out the three of us had a bit of a chat I think um films came into the conversation you know just talking about our likes and things and that really helped actually in coming into it and feeling welcome and so in terms of when you get in, I mean, you presumably were you were you hired just as keyboards, or were you hired for the fact that you were working with synthesizers and technology? Because that's a big part of it, and and it's still it it's still a shame it shames me to see that you know there aren't a lot of men, women working in electronic music uh, from a session point of view. Did you find that that was just already came to you, or did you have to learn on the job for that sort of thing? Well, for. Um, well, there was a time where I did have to learn, but, you know, from Goldfrap onwards, I would say that was quite um, quite a, a factor in why I was chosen for certain jobs, because I do have the technological side yeah. to what I do, but also actually because I sing as well. Right. And basically anyone that can do more than one thing in a band is going to save some money. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, true. And I'm not saying that's the sole reason, but yeah, yeah. So the the technical stuff, it definitely does help. Whether whether it's using a laptop or using a synth, 
um, there was a time where I did, um, the first time I ever started using a laptop live was when I was touring with a theatre company called The Paper Cinema. Actually, this, this picture behind me is from that, I've just realised, um, from the show. It was sort of like shadow puppetry, but ah, in okay. the style of that. Um, I had to use main stage for that and it was quite an involved show and I'd never used it before. I had to learn it in like a couple of weeks or something before um, before we started rehearsals and it was it was quite new. It was a new interface. Yeah, didn't work all that well. <laughs> I remember when it first came out. Yeah. When when did it first come wow. out? Wow. Well, it was when Logic, it was Logic and Mainstage, I think, because I remember we were switching over to it with Goldfrap because I used to do the uh, keyboard text for Goldfrap to, mm. to transition to live. And I think it's, it's just after that, because before that it was all samplers. I mean, I think the thing is, though, with, with all of that technology, because you say you like to prepare you are able to set the, it's not like you have to choreograph the entire thing because you can store all of these states that you can then recall back. And in, in many ways, while it's more mm. complex to set up, it's actually a great, uh, it, it alleviates a lot of that. Am I going to be able to hit that button in time? Am I going to be able to set the volume in time? You can, you, you've got control over all those things. So in many ways it allows you to do a lot more, right? Yeah. I think the point of having something so technologically involved is so that you can focus on the performance, mm. not so that you, um, the the audience is watching you with a mouse and a keyboard, you know, and like doing lots of stuff with a laptop. That's not the point at all. So yeah, that's kind of what I strive for if I'm ever using a laptop live is to program it in a way that it's the easiest to perform so that I can concentrate, you know, for things like... Um, when I toured with Birdie, there were a lot of sample triggering things involved and I had to be really quite clever about where I put certain samples so that I could trigger trigger different samples while playing something else. A musical <laughs> part. Wow. And then half that part, you know, half my hand would do one thing. Multi-timbral fingers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it worked and it, it did allow me to focus on the performing and you know once I'd figured out how it was gonna work I'd just learn the part and then it would work and it's it's fine so what do you I mean do you I know you're a, a big fan of well you work with uh, Udo Audio uh, and I've seen you've done some great videos of the Super 6 and I think I can mm. just see the uh, Super Gemini behind you you're a very lucky person to have one of those there uh, there will be a lot of people who are going oh my god I can't wait to get my hand we, we filmed mm -hmm. that Super Boo with George and he was it yeah. was the biggest video I mean it, everybody's gone crazy for it do you you do because you, you used is it the OB6 you're, you're a big fan of as well? Because you did that thing with Harriet Riley, um, Ghosts, which is where I first saw your, your sort of non, uh, your, your, your standalone work, I suppose. And I know you use it a lot because I've heard you talk about it when we've, when we've worked together. Is that something that you really kind of gravitate? You try and inclu include that in all your work because it's, a, it's an instrument you, have, you gravitate towards. Yeah, so it's, um, it's the Prophet 6 that Prophet I've got. Prophet 6, right, okay. And, but they're, they're quite close, aren't they? Oh yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah, so I had the Prophet 6 for that video on the bottom and then uh, a Mofo X4, the, um, oh, right. the Dave yes. Smith yeah. on top. Um, yeah, the, the Prophet 6 does feature quite a bit among many other synths in the, um, the EP and it continues to feature in 
mostly everything I do because I love it. It's so versatile and it sounds It is. Great. And you, you definitely, I mean, there's a couple of tracks. The opening track on the EP, uh, um, which is, uh, is it not The Embrace? It's the... Um, Enclosure. Enclosure. Uh, there's a line in it and I'm just going, that is so Japan. It's just that there, there's so much Japanness about it, which I, I mm. think is a lovely kind of, but it, it, you know, it doesn't define the entire track, but you, those who know will know. I mean, was that conscious? You, cause it seems like you, you, there is a, there is a common thread there. Obviously you did ghosts. You've, there's, there's that little Japanness in there as well. Are, are you a fan of that, their work? Yeah, I'm a, I am. I, but interestingly, <laughs> Uh, there are there's there aren't many synths on that track, and a lot of the sounds that you might hear and think that they're a synth, they're actually not. Um, and maybe one of the sounds you're thinking about, but yeah, I, I absolutely love Japan. S some of those kind of uh, Prophet Five plucky sounds mm. that they do, or you know, it, there's a lot of Prophet Five in in what they do. I'm very into. But yeah, so for that song, just a slight diverg diversion. Most of the sounds are actually samples of things manipulated oh, okay. and turned into instruments. And the, the lead sound that happens just after the first chorus, that's kind of a plucky sound, um, was actually two samples layered. One of them was a plucked hairband <laughs> and the other one was a a knocked, a tapped mug, I think, or something like that. Oh, nice. Um, and that that's another thing that I love to do a lot, not just synths, but I'm very into music concrete, essentially, and finding found, samples found and sounds, yeah. found sound and, and turning them into musical elements. Um, and that that's actually quite a heavily featured element of, of the record. Um, all of the songs have have that um, kind of running through and the first two tracks in particular. No, nice. Uh, uh, yes, and I do encourage people to go and uh, check it out. You can get it on Spotify. I mean, it's all all good place. Hazelmills.com is the place to find all of that stuff. Um, so coming back to the live work, I mean, you're... I, th I think not a lot of people perhaps don't realise how much or sometimes how little time you have, you know, because often when you're getting a gig, unless you're in at the beginning when the band is formed, more often than not, you're being brought in at a kind of, you know, either our usual keyboard because it doesn't can't make it or we've started to use instruments and we need someone to play these things live because none of us really do we're doubling up because we play guitars or whatever do you find that there's is that what is the process generally you can talk us through that that, that process of you know you get the call you go you know you, you've got the job what happens next it really varies um if if it's a process that i'm involved in which many of them have been the last couple of recent ones, it's been a little bit more here are the parts, he go, which is lovely. Um, but yeah, I, there's certainly been a couple of times where I've been very involved in how are we going to make this happen live? What yeah. parts, um, for example, with Florence, I worked quite closely for a period of time with the musical director, Alex Lee, in kind of dissecting the songs uh, or dissecting some of the part. He obviously did a huge right. part of the job, but um, he then brought me in at a certain point to sort of look at how playable are these and yeah. how do you think we can create these sounds? And 
you know, do, is this for you? Or, you know, thinking about some of the other band members, how do we delegate, delegate some of these parts? Um, and it really depend, depends on how it translates live, mm. um, whether it's needed or whether it's an interesting enough part to include or an important enough part to include. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's quite a big so, part of I mean, it. You do quite, so it's quite a technical process or can be quite a technical process. So you'll help put that to, cause I remember when I had to do it, it was, an, you know, cause you're working in not only that, when you're rehearsing, you have to have sort of a negative, which is everything that isn't being played so that people can understand what they where they fit in. And also if you've got any playback that is, and then a positive, which shows them, which is what they're playing <laughs> so that they can see what they're playing. And just that process of exploding it out into the constituent parts is, is quite, can be quite mind blowingly complicated. Yeah, it can be really confusing. Um, Cause yeah, I did for, for, um, Florence and also for Birdie, I designed all of the main stage patches myself. Right. With Gold Frap, as you know, a lot of them already existed, but actually for a couple of the newer songs, um, Angie and I, Angie, the other keyboard player, we worked together in um, creating some of those and realised that, yeah, wow, that's there's so many layers and, okay, is this being covered live? Where's that? Where's that going to go? And and it's yeah. so intricate that it's you've got to get it right live. And it's um, but at the same time, it's a really fun process. Yeah, no, I enjoy that. I mean, which again takes me to another thing about uh, playing live. A lot of live performance is inevitably about ego. You know, it's it's a projection thing. It's and and what you get from the audience and that sort of helps feed itself, which helps you become more theatrical or lose yourself in the music or something i mean how much how much freedom do you get to kind of inhabit that uh, that persona of live or do you just try and focus purely on the job do you or do you leave a little bit of space for the sort of the the theatricality of it i think there it's quite important to have that element um even if you're not the main focus mm. Because although part of me has always been like, just just step back and blend into the background a little bit. Um, at the same time, it, and it really does depend on the band and the situation and who you're working with. But sometimes it's okay, uh, or maybe even good, to step forward a bit and have some personality come through um, in your performance and, and give... I think it's just all about responding to what's happening. So what is the, what are the other musicians giving? And if, if you're working with um, a solo artist or, um, you know, someone with someone who's the main focus, what kind of energy are they giving and how do mm. you, how can you complement that? Um, so sometimes you, you do need to be a bit more th theatrical. Have you uh, have you been have you been handed the keytar yet in any of your uh, um, your roles? Yeah, well, with Goldfrap. Oh, you got to play, you got to play the key. I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't remember because yeah. I I came, well, after after we did the interview. I came to see the the gig, which I thought was fantastic, <laughs> and really for me, obviously, because I worked on that album and it was extremely, you know, brought an awful lot of stuff back from doing those sessions and then and then you know those early gigs and whatnot and and i just i suppose the i don't remember a keytar in that particular one because felt mountain it's didn't possible have a lot of yeah it's possible that we either only used it for one song or that might have been one of the nights where 
we didn't use it at all because it yeah it didn't it didn't come out a lot for that tour obviously as you say because felt mountain isn't really that kind of thing but yeah that that's the only opportunity i've had to play a guitar is with goldfrap but it was and are you a foot fun. on the monitor kind of uh, status quo kind of gal or do you just sort of just concentrate on getting the part because i mean it's easy to go if you, as soon as you've got one in your hands you're kind of like it's almost like well you can or you can't it's up to you <laughs> how you do well that? i really try not to ham it up <laughs> too much um but you can't help but get into it so i'm i think i think i'm a bit more of a kind of violent head thruster than right than okay a, than anything else but that's just because that's how i moved to move when I'm playing it, depending on the song, but the, you can't not move to some of those songs, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, I mean, touring life, I mean, cause you seem, you seem, you know, like I say, we were speaking before the show, you know, you're, you're, you're quite, you're quite a private person, you know, you're not out there on lots of social media. You're not kind of projecting the Hazel Mills brand all over the place. Uh, I mean, obviously part of this interview is to help promote the EP, which as I said, everybody should look at. How do you find touring life? Is it, does it sit well with you? Did, has it taken a while to kind of find your groove or, you know, or do you love it? I mean, wh where does it sit in your life experiences uh, spectrum? I do love it. I really love it. I don't think, I'm just trying to think back to my early days of touring and I loved it then as well. I love all aspects of it. You know, the, the travelling the seeing new places, the seeing a different audience every night. Um, yeah, I do really love it. And how, so how do you survive? Because obviously it's really easy first time you go out to just party the whole time and really live the life. And then there's sort of nothing left by the time you get back or you find yourself a few weeks in and you think, crikey, I really need to sort this out because otherwise I'm not going to be able to make it throughout. I mean... Do you, you, it requires quite a lot of discipline, I think, as well, right? Yeah, I'm quite good at pacing myself. I've never really been, um, got into that kind of real partying on the road kind of thing. I think partly maybe because as a singer, ah. you have to be extra careful. You, you're carrying your instrument around with you everywhere. Um, mm. so you, you do have to be kind of on another level, really looking after yourself to, to make sure that you can actually perform. Yeah, that best, makes a lot know? of sense. I mean, it's interesting though, because also there's some people, you know, if you spend a lot of time on tour, I mean, it depends. I think that the tour, the level of tour support that perhaps one used to get in the, you know, last century and what you get these centuries you know people would come back from touring and kind of almost not know how to live their lives because they didn't have to do anything they were told right we need to go here now we need to do this there i mean there's still an element of that you know you're being managed kind of 24 7 to a degree i mean is it how hard do you find it to give up that level of control because i i find it really difficult i'd want to be doing my own thing a lot of the time over a prolonged period of uh, of, of touring i think yeah i do i certainly do often look forward to cooking a meal when I get home, like cooking my dinner. Right. Um, maybe even look forward to doing my own laundry if it's a tour where I don't do that. Well, actually, no, that's... Not shrinking it. Done, yeah, but that's... that's <laughs> it depends on the, you know, the type of tour that you're on. But, um, yeah, and my own space, obviously, that's quite important to me that that can be one of the difficult parts of touring yeah. is that I need a lot of quiet time. 
Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, you do, you do still get that. Even, you know, if you're on a bus, the bunk, I love, I love a bunk. It's like the private space and it's mm. quiet and cozy and, um, but yeah, that can be difficult for a lot of people. I think is the close proximity to so many people for so long. Um, it's the, yeah. and I think the other thing that perhaps a lot of people, a lot of non people who've not toured or perhaps don't know what the musician's life can be like. There's so much time when you're actually not doing anything at all. You're waiting. You're just hanging about. And then keeping, I suppose, keeping your energy levels up so that when you get to go on stage, you, you're ready and you've got, you've got the juice in the tank. Yeah, you kind of have to, have to come up with a bit of your own routine because once the rehearsals are over, that's the most intense part of it for the musician, mm. not for the crew. They work so hard on tour. But, you know, I think often a lot of the work goes in the rehearsal process and it's really intense. And then once you've got over that first bit of touring where you're kind of in on a bit of a roll you do realize that okay uh i've got you know until sound check at three o'clock what do i do um and you might already be at the venue because you've arrived in on a tour bus um and i think it's situations like that where you, you have to be quite strict with yourself and say right i'm gonna go to the gym or you know i've got other work that i need to do like or i'm gonna do some writing um, is a, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to do a bit of writing on the road if you've got uh, well you don't need a lot with you really yeah do what do you take do I'm it. curious about that because I, I, I've we, we've discussed this on Sonic Talk before where people who kind of go yeah well I went on tour I did this PR tour or whatever and I took all of this stuff that I was going to be sitting in the hotel room writing and I just never used it it stayed it stayed in the box you know but so you have to be and practicing presumably is, is you know keeping your muscles and technique kind of going yeah, I guess I would sort of do that once things are set up in the venue, um, right. perhaps, and then find a quiet spot somewhere to do vocal exercises. But yeah, I would. <clears throat> I don't think I would necessarily take a lot with me because I, I've found systems, ways of doing things in the box, and there are some great plugins that I would either replace later, or you know, if they are the right sound, then that's fine whether it's a piano or a synth or whatever this thing actually has been oh, the great little, what, what is that the um, not that way. um is it the arturia thing little arturia. it's a micro lab yes arturia micro lab and it's really durable and really portable so that's obviously it's it's small and it's small keys but you can um, input you know if sometimes you can find ways of either borrowing a um a midi keyboard from the tour that you're on that morning say oh can I just take this and use this or that there are ways um or I might take something like this is quite I've never taken this on tour but this is quite a good hang on another Arturia one actually um which is the the micro microphone yeah just had a firmware update very portable mm. very portable yes yeah I haven't done that yet actually thank you for the reminder <laughs> And, but you've also got, I mean, I can see you've also, you, you know, you obviously got a love of kind of large format instruments, large synthesizers, and um, the, the Super 6 has, you, like I say, you've done quite a lot of stuff with that in terms of the, the relationship you have with them and done some videos. And um, the Prophet 6, what else, what, are, what other keyboards are you, 
you regularly yeah. reach for. So when you, you're... C- you probably see a few there, but my um, my profit isn't back from Australia yet, and I'm oh. starting to get really um, itchy. <laughs> like I don't know when I'm getting it. Um, yeah, all my synths are in different places. I've got a Juno 106 somewhere across Bristol. My profit, who knows where? Um, but I've also got. I could probably just turn the camera a little bit. Um, there's a, a Moog Sub 37 here. Ah, yes. Very good for performing the Sub 37, isn't it? I generally use it as a live a live instrument, yeah. Mm. Um, and here, which is still new for me, uh, and I've, I've not really got stuck in yet because I've only just acquired it. I'm borrowing this um, Super Gemini from UDO. Um, can't wait. Cannot wait to... Give it a are, go. You gonna, are we going to be seeing uh, some videos? And I've got a couple of you. other synths that you can't see over there, actually. Are we going to see some videos on the, uh, of the Super Gemini from you then? Is that part of the uh, arrangement? Yes, you oh, will. Excellent. Yeah. I can't wait definitely. to get my hands on it. I mean, people are responding extremely well. It's such a, it's really interesting, yeah. isn't it, that somebody's gone, George just went for, I'm going to put all the knobs on, all the faders, it's all there. And that's so unusual. Everybody's always trying to find ways to sort of reduce that. And it's still managed to make it a re, you know, relatively affordable. I mean, it's an expensive thing, but it's the only time I've ever seen the comments of a new synth that is of a certain price and people go, oh, I thought it'd be more expensive. Like loads of people, which is such a surprise. Nice. That's good. Yeah, I suppose it's just everything is grabbable. I think that that was his thought process. He wants yeah. it to be a performative thing. Um, so, you know, there's less, I think probably less menu diving and you've obviously got the ribbon controller as well, yeah. which is, I can't wait. Is to that, is that an MC, MPC one as well up there on the top? It's a, it's a live two, ah, okay. uh, which actually this, I used a lot on the, on the EP, um, for some of the sampling and the mangling. Um, I love this thing cause it's, it's the one with, um, do you want a closer look? So. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So, speakers. Hang on, I'm just going to put the, that. And there's the Super Gemini. Everybody um, loves the Super Gemini. Yeah, do you want to have a look at that? Have you, have, you haven't had a chance to play with it much yet, but have you, is there anything specifically that's really, uh, really caught your ear? I think I'm really excited about the, the, oh, it sounds amazing just off the bat, you know. Um, yeah. The, the possibilities with the, the layering and the splitting because it's multi-tombrel, um, I'm really, I can't, I've literally, I turned it on for about 10 minutes and had a little look. I've, I haven't had time yet. So this is my immediate, um, what do you call it? Response First to impressions, it. yeah. First I think I'm getting a little bit of, yeah, so, anyway. So um, what's next for you, Hazel? I mean, you, you know, summer traditionally is, I mean, obviously since COVID, it's been hard to kind of get, that there's not as many tours going out, but summer is traditionally festivals and whatnot. I and mean, that actually, that was another question before we get, before you answer that question, because f- playing live is very, very different. It's an, a, a myriad of different experiences. It's the small club, it's the larger theatre, it's a stadium, it's a stage where you could barely see your other band members. That's something I always find quite interesting because you have to be so adaptable because obviously you're not, and you're not going to hear always the same things that, you know, you might need to hear. Uh, do you find that, do you like a larger stage or a smaller stage? What is it that you, you know, what's your ideal performing environment? Hmm. I think I like both. When I'm, 
when I, when I haven't been on a smaller stage for ages and I, in a, in an intimate venue and I perform in one, I'm suddenly like, oh my, this is so vibey. I love it. You know, everyone's so close and I can, you can smell the audience, you know, um, it's great. But then at the same time, um, when I'm on bigger stages, it's like, oh, I can, I can move. Um, you know, we can, uh, I think there are pros and cons to each because yeah. when you're that far away from each other, obviously it's, it can be harder to connect and have that chemistry, not just with the other musicians, but with the audience as well. Um, but maybe then for that reason, it's easier to get into some kind of flow state. Yeah, arguably. it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, in, on a big stage, you're sort of more isolated. It's just like you and your job in, in hand. Whereas if you're sort of on top of each other, I suppose there's a there's a sort of blurring of the, you know, of, of the oneness of it, which is easier to maybe yeah. feel that on a smaller stage. But I guess it happens on bigger stages. And when it does happen and you get that moment where it's happening for you and it's happening for the audience and then suddenly, you know, you get those people who have like these religious experiences at Glastonbury. Glastonbury pyramid stage is, is, is the sort of, is quite a measure of that when you get to play in front of that many people and they're all so into it and you're really on your game and it's just this moment of you can sense it can't you even through the television you know when when that is there's just a thing going on it's really interesting yeah and i interestingly i struggle to remember um a lot of venues that i've played at and i think maybe it's for that reason you know somebody might say oh have you ever played this venue like uh maybe I don't remember. Right. Um, and if I did, I don't really have a memory of the performance itself. And maybe that's because I'm, I'm in some kind of flow state and, and, you know, then, you, you know, I saw it. I don't know if you've seen in the news recently about, um, Taylor Swift, uh, loads of fans coming back from a concert of hers with amnesia and they can't remember the concert. Um, oh, and then because they're just it goes on it. to explain that they're in this kind of hysteric, this kind of hysteria flow state or whatever, that um, their brain isn't going to work in the same way for in terms of storing the memory. Um, so maybe that's why. Why I, don't I, I really would be interested to, to, to investigate that more because a flow state when you're on a stage in front of you know a lot on a in a in a high jeopardy situation let's face it i mean it is quite a kind of you know you're getting adrenaline because you don't want to mess it up but you're also getting the amazing kind of feeling and so your body must go into kind of only the important things I need to worry about. Don't fall over. You know, there, there are things, I get this, I get a similar sort of thing when I'm at a trade show, when I'm at mat, there's this huge amount of stimulation all day at roughly 96 decibels, just continuously. The short-term memory goes and I forget lots and lots and lots of things. I can barely remember anything, but I, because I've done it enough times and again, because you've rehearsed and, and you, the muscle memory is there, you know you'll be able to do your job. But I mean, ultimately mm. it's it's like you're being you're resisting the ultimate distraction to get it right in a lot of ways. Yeah. And part of me wonders if, if that much adrenaline is, is a good thing, whether, you know, it can be exhausting Yes. on when you're on a tour and you're getting that much kind of high adrenaline every night There's, you know, there, there comes a drop with that as well. Yeah. You've got to come down from it. Um, and that, you know, all those spikes, that's, 
maybe maybe it's if there's some way of channeling I don't know anything about the flow state but I'm really interested to learn actually I'm I'm quite intrigued by it but if maybe if there's some kind of more level version of that that isn't like all the highs but, yeah. and all the lows I suppose this is self-medicating isn't it that's the classic rock and roll tour where you just sort of medicate your way through the lows and then ready for the highs again the next night but yeah. I mean it's unsustainable isn't it obviously but and also there are there are lots of physical um uh um manifestations of having too much adrenaline you can burn you can burn out your inner ear with too much adrenaline um it's it's the thing that happens in the theater i mean only it's the it's the ilia you know it's not it's not permanent but it can it can result in uh that um oh what's the word labyrinthitis so you lose your balance because you're there's so much adrenaline that can happen and is something that's quite well known in theatrical um uh, wow um, um, fields or circles. It happened to my daughter when she was doing, she was st- playing a starring role in uh, Annie, and she was only twelve, thirteen, and she 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 blew out her uh, her ears and just became you know just lost her balance for two weeks and uh, and it came back, but it can th- I mean there's a lot of ways in which wow. that can manifest itself. I mean it's a, extreme extreme um, amounts of any kind of uh, hormonal. St- stuff being dumped into your system is 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 difficult to manage i mean but the human body is an amazing thing i don't want to worry you there hazel i'm sure (laughs) but no i'm just i'm just to find that really interesting i mean i personally i suffer from uh that a lot often you know i get i don't know if you could diagnose it as labyrinthitis but um i do get that that sort of vertigo dizziness a lot Ah, interesting Um, and in cold weather my ears, my inner ears get really painful and I get dizzy, so I have to cover my ears. But so I just thought, I, I didn't know there was a connection there. That's really interesting. Oh, okay. Um, but going on back onto the the sort of, or just thinking about all the highs and lows and another way to help that for me has been meditation, hmm. which I try and do regularly on, on tour. I do regularly at home, but on tour i find it really helps um and i use a guided app for it but you know you can you can use substances to try and get through these things but for me um that doesn't work (laughs) so well okay maybe the occasional one but um yeah no i think and i think surviving surviving i think again i i people who've not experienced the tour are not aware of that because I mean when everything's great it's great but when there's sort of an issue maybe you know the singer has uh, has a bad throat and you might have to take on more extra duties or there's been a data corruption thing and the techs are trying to re- restore the set because it's not you know that, there's so many things that can happen that that require that make it extremely stressful for either everybody or certain members of the crew and there has to be a lot of understanding in that and it's really difficult because also at the same token before you go on stage you'd like you know you you say you have your certain process and it's and when that's thrown out of kilter sometimes that can be really disruptive so it's important to kind of try Mm. while while having your 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 method of coping with it you've got to be flexible and be able to roll with the roll with the surprises as well right it's true yeah yeah i think that's something that i over the years i'm learning more and more to do is to to learn to accept 
um, things that you can't control that mm. you might not that might not be ideal. And you you actually reminded me of our um, that Goldfrap Glastonbury experience where we went on twenty minutes late because exactly that happened. The, the laptops decided to have a freak out just before we went on stage. Um, and you know it's all being live broadcast and everything. I didn't know that. And so that was quite scary. Oh, my. Um, it was... Do you know what it was? It was main stage. Ah. <laughs> decided to un-allocate um, all of the MIDI controllers. So in reallocating them they were all under the pressure, um, the keyboards were reallocated, but uh, none of my pedals were... Oh, doing anything my and my guitar was also not doing because that's a midi controller um so i couldn't sustain anything and the the guitar wasn't working so i just had to mime um so it was a wow. bit <laughs> i didn't know that that is that is and it's it you know glastonbury <laughs> presumably te- it was was it the televised one yeah oh it well it was on you could watch it on considered to be a, one of the one of those momentous performances. Actually, you know when you you often see people talking about that one. So, uh, certainly, Strict Machine and, and, and whatnot were play, and it was just everybody. It's just the audio. It, it, there must have been something about that whole energy of that freaking out that transferred into positive stuff. So, I mean, I suppose that's, that's good. It. But yeah, yeah, that's wow. the thing because the audience once we finally got on stage, they were even more raring to go. They were amazing. They were really understanding and just ready for it. And, you know, of course the set had to get cut short. So, you know, that's obviously really disappointing. But, um, yeah, it it, maybe for that reason it had that level of energy that you don't get if it's just everything's running smoothly. (laughs) Wow, interesting. So what's next, Hazel? I mean, like I I started this whole thing, what we went before we went down that kind of uh, fork in the road was uh, what's next for you? Uh, Summer's traditionally, you know, festivals and and gigs and stuff. Are you got stuff lined up? Yeah, I've got a couple of, um, a couple of live things, not quite yet confirmed. So I won't tell you what they are yet, but yeah, a couple of, um, uh, I think three shows with one project and a possible, thing in in 2024 whoa um but actually i'm kind of concentrating on the writing at the moment and not just my own stuff and the collaboration that i told you about earlier Mm. with kate brooks and then you know moving on from that i'll be working on a solo album but i'm also doing a bit of co-writing with other artists um so i've just sort of started dipping my toes into that which has been really fun so yeah more of that as well excellent and also you know as we know i mean any musician will know more threads more and 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 writing the songs is definitely a good way to kind of uh, make sure you you get paid later in life (laughs) if you can write some write some songs that you know that that go places it's definitely uh, worth putting the effort in Hazel, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been a, a rather rambling chat on my part. I, th- I thought I'd structured the interview better than I had, but I think, you know, you just got to go where it takes you. But So thank you No, very it's much. been great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.